1: This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Wednesday, September 28th.
2: I'm Emily Nicole, crypto blogger for Bloomberg News, in today for Stacey Marie. If you've ever found yourself on crypto Twitter, you'll be familiar with the hype machine that keeps the industry's thousands of projects going. Rallying cries of WAGME, an acronym for we're all going to make it, and to the moon abound, found in tweets from accounts with colourful, graphic profile pictures and usually a hashtag or two. But there are always two sides to a coin, and if you've come across a Twitter display name featuring the tulip emoji, you might have found a crypto-skeptic instead a reference to the Dutch tulip mania of the 1600s, these figures, technologists, academics, and writers among them, are working to counteract crypto's steady rise to the top with a dose of reality. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Deal.
3: I'm the author of the book, Popping the Crypto Bubble. I'm one of the more outspoken critics of the cryptocurrency industry
2: a software engineer by trade, a leading crypto skeptic, author, and now co-founder of the recently established Center for Emerging Technology Policy, a think tank set up to ensure regulators, policymakers, and more are informed about where crypto's promises of a brighter tomorrow might actually be closer to myth. So you often write about kind of the common misconceptions around crypto and blockchain and the things that it promises to solve. We're here to talk about those particular kinds of myths today. So what are some of those problems? Can you explain them to us? So
3: cryptocurrencies are, broadly speaking, a a new form of highly speculative investment uh, that's emerged in the last few years out of the birth of Bitcoin and the entire industry is wrapped in a level of sort of mythmaking about this new technology being the birth of, like, say, a new internet or it's a new form of monetary policy. Um, and not a lot of those stories actually kind of match the lived reality on the ground on both the technology, on the economics or the financial side of the reality of the industry.
2: I know you think a lot about, you know, how blockchain as a solution works for parts of financial services. It's something that if we think about the Bank of England and particularly speakers like Deputy Governor John Cunliffe, they often espouse you know, the benefits of crypto technology for financial services and how it's going to transform the way that we do finance as we know it today. And I know that y- you don't necessarily agree with that perspective.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of rhetoric coming from inside government. Um, about you know the transformative nature of, say, the blockchain technology to solve certain either civic or financial problems. And unfortunately, if you look at the reality, every time that blockchain has been applied to specific applications in financial services, there's not a whole lot of track record of success for these projects because um, blockchain as a solution is something we've known how to build for about 30 years now. It's not a new idea to build append-only um, Digital ledgers. Uh, we've known how to do this for quite some time, um, and so in that sense, blockchain is really only useful for one real application, which is building cryptocurrencies, which is a whole other topic unto itself that we discuss. But um, if you look at specific applications of, say, I don't know, applying blockchain technology for, you know, payment systems or settlement and clearing or, you know, tracking of provenance for specific supply chains. Um, most of these applications are. Of this technology are strictly worse than using technology that's been around for 30 years and already exists.
2: Do you think that is your fundamental objection to crypto or is there something deeper as well that happens within the industry that you think is the fundamental part of why you dislike it?
3: I would say there's crypto assets and then there's blockchain. Blockchain I dislike from a sense that like I don't think it's a particularly good solution. But that's purely a matter of like a software architecture perspective. I don't think there's a whole lot of public harm concerns related to append-only databases. But then if you look over at crypto assets, these are financial products that are sold to the public, um, which exist specifically to um, arbitrage securities laws um, and to create extremely risky assets that are sold directly to the public, oftentimes masked in this kind of veneer of techno-solutionism or, you know, some sort of revolutionary technology, and the technology itself is questionable at best, and the financial assets themselves come wrapped in an enormous amount of risks and some very dubious economics.
2: And, and what about the social side of this too? Because a frequent retort in crypto is that tokenized versions of assets are going to fix a variety of issues in developing countries like El Salvador. Banking the unbanked, that's something I always get told when we ask about Bitcoin is that it's an alternative monetary system that's going to bring everybody out of poverty and save the world from censorship.
3: The reason that most people are unbanked is simply because they don't have enough money to hold a bank account. Um, and it's unclear to me that as this private money issued by corporations, um, which is highly volatile, its value is actually gonna address any of those issues. So I fundamentally disagree with the notion that creating new private forms of money uh, is the solution to the unbanked. What the unbanked need is probably like basic bank accounts subsidized by the government um, and enough money to be able to hold those accounts. And those are hard problems to solve. And I don't think crypto has many answers to those. You need only look at El Salvador, because in the last year they've been running an experiment trying to use Bitcoin as legal tender there, and um, it's not going well, to put it bluntly. We had several speakers from the Crypto Policy Symposium come who were El Salvadorian citizens and talk about their lived experience on the ground in El Salvador. And it turns out, really, Bitcoin, because of its very basic economic design, cannot function as money. Um, and when you try to roll it out as a means of exchange inside of a country, um, it goes very badly. They
1: cannot um, fund their uh, government wallet with uh, their bank account as easy as other people can. Like they have to physically go to a uh, Chivo ATM, in a consulate location that sometimes is really far away from where they live. People has to drive six hours, eight hours to reach the nearest consulate. And it's not a practical thing to do.
2: And particularly as well this year, we've seen a lot of incidents in crypto that I think have brought this to front of mind for you. It's created a bit of more of an urgency than I think you've had to face in previous years, you know, with bankruptcies happening with Celsius and Do Kwon and the collapse of Terra Luna. It's definitely been a, a a year that regulators probably want to hear from you more than ever.
3: They certainly do. And we've had a lot of productive conversations with regulators on both sides of the pond. Um, certainly what you're seeing is sort of the inevitable outcome of an industry that has been purposely built outside of regulation. And unfortunately, there's nothing new under the sun. What you're seeing is a lot of the same kind of financial catastrophes that occurred both in 2008 and sort of the pre the Securities Act era, unfortunately. And it turns out when people don't have um, you know, sensible disclosures and sensible investor protections and sensible rules around governments and custody of funds, then you get a lot of sort of accidents in the financial services industry and a lot of retail investors get hurt. And I think we all recognize that even on the crypto industry, that there needs to be some framework put in place so that members of the general public are not so much exposed to these financial risks.
2: Coming up, more from Stephen Deal on what tools crypto sceptics are using to make their voices heard on the global stage. And so you're American, but you're based in London. I'm also in London and I interviewed you earlier this year for a series of mini profiles we did about crypto's most influential players in the UK, which I'm sure is a moniker you didn't expect to receive. Um, But you've done a lot of work recently with regulators in the UK and Europe and in the US as well on crypto's encroachment into finance. Particularly, we've had several regulations announced this year alone in the UK and Europe. Um, What trends have you been seeing in the financial services industry with crypto? And how do you think policymakers should approach that either, you know, to be to be containing it, providing rules for it um, or should, you know, banks be running away with blockchain?
3: There's definitely been a rise in interest um, in crypto assets from what I've considered the traditional financial services sector. It's still very much sort of a separate world um, because there's sort of the regulated world of banks and normal financial institutions. And there's the crypto world, which is largely, you know, set up in offshore tax shelters and exists largely outside of the regulatory perimeter at the moment. The Securities Act from the 1930s is a very broad brush and it paints a very robust framework that we've been using for almost the last hundred years. And I agree with Chairman Gensler from the Securities Exchange Commissions that almost all crypto assets are securities contracts. And we know how to regulate securities contracts. Um, there's a rather robust framework around uh, disclosures, reporting, um, and investor protections around these assets that we know very well. And just because a security is offered on a blockchain, uh, versus, say, like a stock certificate doesn't really change the underlying legal reality of what these are. And once crypto assets are brought within the regulatory perimeter and classified as securities, I think a lot of the risks go away.
2: Finally, I wanted to find out where you think crypto will be in five or 10 years time. You know, Do you think that it's going to be a fully legally regulated industry and everyone will be registered as broker dealers and that'll be you know all above board or do you think we might have a version that looks a little bit like how we have it today you know we're still having booms and busts and and customers losing out
3: I think the question of where crypto is going is ultimately a question about what comparable assets can you find to crypto and i think Many of the tokens that are being issued today look very much like securities. Um, they're being used to raise funds in a common enterprise with the entrepreneurial efforts of others where the investors are expecting a return, right? So, in that sense, they're basically like a stock. And I think there's a very sensible framework that we've had for a hundred years about how to deal with those. And then you have some other ones, you know, your dogecoins, you have your you know, shibu inus, and it's unclear what the purpose of these projects are. And if we were to look at Sort of the fundamentals of these investments, you know, they're zero sum, right? Any money that any person makes off of them is ultimately money that someone else lost. They're not going to fund a pro- common enterprise or any kind of you know, platform. They're just, they just they exist, kind of oscillate up and down randomly. And in that sense, they look very much like you know, some gambling products. Um, they look very much like you know wagering on sports betting and if I were to say that the latter category, probably should fall into the same kind of regulatory framework that, you know, like the Gambling Commission has, right? They should be treated like sports betting. And I think under both those frameworks, the market probably collapses down into something much, much, much smaller than itself right now because those are industries. So crypto will shrink down into a much smaller version of itself and be regulated as either digital equities or as gambling products.
2: All right, well, thank you for your insights and thanks for joining us today. You can find more reporting like this on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, in the Bloomberg Crypto Newsletter. And you can follow me on Twitter at Emily J. Nicole. I'm Emily Nicole. In today for Stacey Marie Ishmael.
1: On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, climate change. It's real, it's happening, and it's got consequences for how the U.S. government thinks about crypto. We spoke to Costa Samaras, who works at the White House. He's the chief advisor for energy policy in the Office of Science and Technology Policy. And we asked him all about crypto and the climate. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Mohamed Farouk. Associate producer is Moses Andam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow.